Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, it's Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Today, I want to speak about the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and His Royal Highness Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, who is often referred to as MBS. Saudi Arabia is grabbing a lot of headlines these days because of oil prices and the tension between Riyadh and Washington. I thought it would be worthwhile to share my thoughts about the Kingdom and the Crown Prince through the lens of a profile by Graham Wood, published by The Atlantic on March 3rd, which was titled Absolute Power. When I first saw the profile, I thought it would be an interesting and informative piece. After I finished reading it, I was disappointed. I thought it was disrespectful to our ally, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, to the Crown Prince, and to Islam. The profile was littered with derisive comments and deeply personal opinions about those subjects. Fortunately, the Saudi press agency released a transcript of the interview, which I found far more interesting than the profile itself. Graham was joined by Jeff Goldberg, the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic. Before the interview, Graham asked one of MBS's advisors if there were any questions he could ask MBS that he himself could not. The advisor, without pausing, said none. And that's what makes him different from every crown prince who has come before him. To me, one of the most telling statements that set the tone of the profile was Graham's position that many in Washington and other Western capitals hope that MBS's rise to the throne might still be averted. I wondered who these many people in Washington and Western capitals are. Why are they important to mention, anonymously by the way? And who really cares what these anonymous sources think? And why is the opinion of presumably non-Saudis, perhaps some Saudis, I don't know, about who the Saudi leader is or would be of any importance? When I see sentences like that in any article, my antenna go up right away and lead me to think that there is going to be an inherent bias or some agenda behind the author's profile. In fairness to Graham, he did point out that even MBS's critics concede that he has roused Saudi Arabia from an economic and social slumber. In 2016, MBS unveiled a plan known as Vision 2030. But, and here comes some more bias and Graham's obvious judgmental negative view of not just MBS, but also of the kingdom. Graham describes how the goal of Vision 2030 is to convert Saudi Arabia from one of the world's weirdest, let me repeat that, weirdest countries into a place that could plausibly be called normal. Weirdest? Plausibly become normal? Who writes like that? What gives a journalist the right to speak like that about an entire country. What does it say about the Atlantic itself if it allows that kind of insulting, degrading language to be used in a profile when it speaks about an entire country? Who gets to decide what is normal, or weird for that matter? Graham describes how during the interview, the Crown Prince left his tunic unbuttoned at the collar in a casual style now favored by young Saudi men as he gave relaxed, non-psychopathic answers to questions about his personal habits. Non-psychopathic? Is Graham a psychologist? 
a psychiatrist? I don't know how the Atlantic allowed what seems to be some sort of animosity toward the kingdom and MBS to seep into this profile. One more example just to really show Graham's mindset and what he thinks about MBS. He describes how MBS is still young and hoarding power, but 50 years, he writes, is a long reign. The madness of King Muhammad could give way to something else. A slow and graceful renunciation of power, or as with Assad, an even more violent exercise of it. So first, Graham implies MBS is a psychopath. Then he calls him mad, as in crazy, and he compares him to Assad. Assad is accused of being a war criminal, accused of using chemical weapons against his own people, and is responsible for so much death and destruction in Syria. What kind of comparison is this? What kind of journalism is this? According to Graham, MBS has created a climate of fear unprecedented in Saudi history. Saudi Arabia has never been a free country, he says, but even the most oppressive of MBS's predecessors never presided over an atmosphere like that of the present day. I'd love to know what kind of research and data Graham used in order to make this sweeping conclusion. I've spent a significant amount of time on the ground in the kingdom. I've spoken to many, many people. I've not heard this kind of broad accusation before from any Saudi, not a one. Quite the contrary. Over the last few years, I continue to meet Saudi after Saudi who are incredibly excited about MBS and the direction he is taking the kingdom. They may not love everything, and they may say that there's plenty of room for improvement, but what country doesn't always strive for improvement? How many people did Graham speak to who made this kind of accusation? Do they have some motivation or agenda? Were they Saudis, non-Saudis? On what basis did Graham make this conclusion? I think any reader of the profile deserves more of an explanation about this terrible accusation. The only hint we get is that Graham is speaking to what he describes as ordinary people with independent thoughts who went into exile. But who are they really? Out of a population of roughly 35 million people, how many people did Graham speak to in order to reach this sweeping conclusion about Saudi Arabia? The only name Graham actually reveals is Khalid al-Jabri, the exiled son of one of MBS's most prominent critics, who warned Graham that the worst has yet to come. When he's King Muhammad, Crown Prince's MBS is going to be remembered as an angel, according to Khalid. Okay, so there's one individual, a known critic of MBS, who says something like this, and the conclusion is that there is an unprecedented culture of fear in the kingdom? I don't understand it, Graham. You need to do better. The article did have its humor. During one interview, Jeff Goldberg asked MBS if he was capable of handling criticism. MBS thanked him for asking the question, and then said if he couldn't, he wouldn't be sitting there with Jeff and Graham listening to that very question. Jeff felt comfortable enough to joke that he would be in the Ritz-Carlton. And MBS replied, well, at least it's a five-star hotel. For those of you who don't understand the Ritz-Carlton reference, you can look it up on Google. Funny question by Jeff, and funny response by MBS. Graham describes how the Kingdom's Vision 2030 has made modernization easier to observe now than it ever would have been just a few years ago. He describes how tourist visas are now a snap to get, and how in Riyadh he effortlessly found young people thrilled by the reforms. How major Saudi cities have an abundance of specialty coffee shops, how he had gone to the movies in Riyadh and sat next to a Saudi woman he had never met, the woman, by the way, wore jeans and canvas sneakers, and she bounced her bare ankle while they watched Zombieland double tap together, according to Graham. He described in earlier visits how he used to eat at restaurants that had cinder block walls dividing single men on one side from women and families on the other, 
and that these now have been demolished. Now men and women could eat together without eliciting so much as a sideways glance from fellow diners, he says. But then Graham drifts into his disdain for Saudi Arabia and religious society when he describes how in smaller cities it isn't clear how quickly modernization is catching on. He describes how when he visited one of the most conservative parts of the country for two days, every woman he saw wore a black flowing abaya, and that when he visited the opening of a new shopping wall and watched the crowds arrived, he noticed how men and women separated themselves without discussion. Women in the front, all in black, near the stage where children recited poems and sang, men in white thobes in the back of the audience and on the sides. Cultural practices decades or centuries old do not yield suddenly, he declares. But did Graham ever consider that maybe the Saudis he was watching don't want these practices to yield? Perhaps Graham should recognize that there are societies who actually want to live that way. Why is he so condescending to those who choose to practice Islam or their culture this way? Graham was also disappointed when he needed his Starbucks caffeine in the early afternoon. I need those too, by the way. And the Starbucks was closed for prayer time, just as it would have been if the religious police had been enforcing prayer times. So the workers at the Starbucks went to pray without being forced to by the religious police. Why is that something bad? Why does he need to write this anecdote as if these people who went to pray are backwards and have not yet changed with the times? I wonder what Graham would say about me and my neighbors when we stop our work in the middle of the day to say our afternoon prayers. Perhaps I'm not as modern as I thought. Maybe he would paint me and my observant Jewish community with an equal amount of negativity for our customs and practices. In another distortion of the dramatic positive things being planned in the kingdom, Graham's description of the Giga Project Neom was no less obnoxious. Graham describes Neom as a grand, most improbable project. He points out that Neom will be built in a mostly uninhabited area on the Gulf of Aqaba, adjacent to Egypt's Sinai Peninsula, the southwestern edge of Jordan, and the Israeli resort town Eilat. But then Graham declares that this area was chosen to avoid existing Saudi cities resisting MBS's plans, and that MBS chose to build a new city, one programmed to do his bidding from the start. He describes how the location is far from where Saudis actually live, huddled in a mostly empty corner, as if seeking sustenance and inspiration from Jordan and Israel. Maybe it was lost on Graham that the area chosen for Neom is not only strategic in terms of the proximity to the areas he described, but it also is a largely untouched, pristine, and actually gorgeous area. I've seen it. What better place on the sea to create such an amazing place? Neom and the concept of Neom would likely not work in a populated area. And yet one more insult to MBS to Neom, here is how Graham describes how the name Neom was chosen. It is from a violent collision between the Greek word neos, new, and the Arabic mustakbal, future. Violent collision? Really? Is that how you describe it? That thought didn't enter into my mind when MBS described the origin of the word neom to me years ago. I also want to share some ideas that came through from reading the transcript of the interview released by the Saudi press agency. Some of those thoughts were not in the article, and some were just not adequately covered by the article. To start, I'm insulted for Saudis by the very first question asked by Graham. Graham says to the Crown Prince, I've been coming back here since 2019. Every time it's a little more different, more modern, more advanced. 2030 gets closer and it gets a little bit more like Dubai, even a little bit more like America. 
Do you think Saudi Arabia will become less Saudi and more like the rest of the world, he asks? Whoa, imagine asking an American if we may become less American and more like Canada or Europe. As if being more American is something Saudi Arabia should strive for. Don't be so Saudi, Graham seems to suggest. Be more modern, more different, more American, or more like Dubai, he's suggesting. The crown prince gave a smart reply. We're not trying to be like Dubai or trying to be like America. We're trying to evolve based on what we have, economic assets, and utilizing the potential of the Saudi people, the culture of Saudi Arabia, our background, and we try to evolve this way. We want to add something new to the world. A lot of our projects are unique. It's Saudi Arabian. Points there for the crown prince putting Graham in his place for asking such a condescending question. Graham and the crown prince got into a very interesting discussion about the use of the term moderate Islam. MBS does not like to use that term since, he says, it makes the extremists and terrorists happy because the use of the term suggests that Saudi Arabia and other Muslim countries are changing Islam into something new, which is not true, he says. The crown prince explained that they are going back to the real teachings of Islam, including living in open and peaceful societies and respecting all cultures and religions. We're going back to the root, to the real thing, he said. What happened was that the extremists hijacked and changed our religion into something new for their own interests. Very promising positive words from MBS. Graham inquired whether it was possible to change Saudi Arabia from a monarchy into something else. This question, I suppose, comes from the not uncommon Western view that we know what's right for other parts of the world, and we have to educate them on how to live and how to run their societies. After all, we know how life should be lived, and others who don't follow our lead must be incredibly backward. The Crown Prince's answer is worth reading. Here's some of it. I cannot change Saudi Arabia from a monarchy to another type of system, because it has been based on a monarchy for 300 years, and this complex structure of thousands of tribal and urban systems that have been part of how people have lived in the past, and it is part of Saudi Arabia today. There are more than 5,000 royals from the House of al-Sad. He explains how he was chosen to protect the interests of the monarchy that runs this complex structure based on thousands of tribal and semi-tribal leaders. Changing the system, he explained, would be betraying the House of al-Sad, betraying the thousands of tribal leaders and semi-tribal leaders. Graham observed how it seemed like the crown prince is not all the way to the finish line in terms of the changes he wants to do, and asked him how close he was and how different is the finish line from what he had planned. The crown prince's answer was straightforward, practical, and in my view, realistic. He told Graham that if he told him that he sees the finish line, it would mean that he's a horrible leader. The finish line is something distant, he said. You just keep running and keep running faster and keep creating more finish lines and just keep running. Our aim, the crown prince said, is to be faster than the rest and achieve more than the rest. Not a bad answer from a leader. Very striving, very aspirational. Graham asked whether there are limits, whether Graham will be able to do in Saudi Arabia the same things that he could legally do in the United States, or whether there's some stopping point because it's an Islamic country. The crown prince answered honestly. In Islam, some things are forbidden for Muslims, but if you're foreign, Islamic teachings can't be applied to you. So if you're a foreign person who's living or traveling in Saudi Arabia, you have all the right to do whatever you want based on your beliefs, as long as they're in line with the country's laws. Perhaps the most important aspect of the interview relates to the difficult relationship between Washington and Riyadh today, which is now very much in the spotlight because President Biden is desperately trying to get the Saudis and the United Arab Emirates to pump much more oil 
to help reduce the skyrocketing oil prices we're facing now. We can't tackle that topic without remembering what President Joe Biden said about the crown prince and Saudi Arabia. Here's candidate Joe Biden in 2019. And I would make it very clear, we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. There's very little social redeeming value of the, in the present uh, government in Saudi Arabia. And here's Jen Psaki, the White House spokesperson, talking about how the Biden administration will be recalibrating the relationship with the kingdom and ending the support for the war in Yemen. Well, first, Anna, from the first day of the administration, we have been crystal clear at every level from the president on down, we're going to recalibrate this relationship and turn the page from the last four years. And that means ending our support for the war in Yemen, doing more to address the humanitarian crisis, and ensuring that we are uh, holding to account the actions, the human rights abuses of this government by word and by action. Let's also remember that the Biden administration has refused to treat MBS as Biden's counterpart. Biden's peer is the king, the the White House insists, even though the crown prince rules the country with his father's blessing. We also need to understand that with respect to Yemen, instead of blaming the tragedy and disaster that is Yemen on the Houthi terrorists to attack the kingdom, the Biden administration is pressuring the kingdom to stop defending itself against the Houthi terrorists, and it has removed the terrorist designation from the Iran-funded Houthis. What a big mistake. Now President Biden, hat in hand, needs something from the kingdom. But has President Biden done anything meaningful to mend the relationship with Riyadh? The short, simple answer seems to be no. Here's a tip to the Biden administration. If you want to start mending fences with Riyadh, here's a list of what you should do. 1. Pick up the phone and call the crown prince and give him the respect he deserves. He should be your main counterpart if the Saudis choose that to be the case. 2. Immediately redesignate the Houthis as terrorists. 3. Recognize that the Houthis are the ones causing the devastation in Yemen and support the Saudis and the Emiratis in their defense against Houthi attacks. Don't just play lip service with mere condemnations. Ask the Saudis and the Emiratis, for that matter, how the United States can meaningfully help. And 4. And this is true for all our allies in the Gulf and Israel. Listen to the region when it comes to the Iran deal. Don't listen to the Europeans who don't have the same concerns and needs relating to Iran as the countries in the Middle East do. Mostly, the Europeans just want to make money from their relationships with Iran and have access to more oil. And by the way, don't listen to the Russians. Look where we are with the Russians now. The region may not be fully united about how best to proceed with Iran, but their voices, all of them, should be the main focus, and they should be seated at those negotiations at the head of the table. There may be other ideas too, but I suggest you start with these. So Graham asks, what would the crown prince want President Biden to know about the crown prince that Biden might not know? What was the crown prince's answer? Well, he was pretty clear. I don't care, he said. When Graham pressed the crown prince for more, the crown prince was clear again. It's up to Joe Biden to think about the interests of America, he said. The Crown Prince explained that today Saudi Arabia is a G20 country and among the top fastest growing countries in the world. The Crown Prince believes that some of the best potential in the world today is in Saudi Arabia. And if President Biden wants to miss it, other people in the East are going to be super happy to see that. Gee, I wonder who the Crown Prince is referring to. Nothing wrong with what the Crown Prince said. 
He's being frank, and he's not dancing around reality. If we drive the kingdom into the arms of the Chinese, we only have ourselves, or should I say the Biden administration, to blame. The Crown Prince acknowledged that while the kingdom has a long historic relationship with the United States, and that their aim is to keep it, to strengthen it, and to boost it, he was frank in pointing out that the relationship could be downgraded in many areas. He made it clear that we don't have the right to interfere in the kingdom's internal affairs. They don't have the right to lecture the United States, and the same goes the other way. He's not wrong. On social issues, the, con- the crown prince did not hide the ball. MBS believes that today, Saudis are at about 50% of where we are, and eventually it'll be something like between 70 and 80%. They won't reach 100% of where we are, he says, because Saudis have some different beliefs from us. But that's okay. It isn't our job to dictate to other countries how to live. We can work with them and try to influence them, but we don't have the right to demand that they live like Americans. They're not Americans. The Crown Prince's comments about Iran are also worth paying attention to. They are our neighbors, neighbors forever. We can't get rid of them, and they can't get rid of us. So it's better for both of us to work it out and look for ways in which we could coexist. Getting back to the proposed nuclear deal with the Biden administration, the Crown Prince said that any country around the world that has a nuclear bomb, that's dangerous regardless of if it's Iran or any other country. So he said the kingdom does not want to see that. And they don't want to see a weak nuclear deal, because that's going to end up with the same conclusion. Perhaps the most striking thing that Graham merely glossed over in the article related to what the crown prince said about Israel. Graham wanted to know whether the kingdom might follow some of the Arab nations in having an open relationship and diplomatic relations with Israel. The answer given by MBS should give us all hope. He said, for us, we hope that the conflict between the Israelis and Palestinians is solved. Well, nothing wrong with that part of the answer. In fact, I find it very refreshing, because it doesn't follow the normal Palestinian unrealistic formula. The crown prince simply spoke of hoping for peace, without making all the unrealistic demands of how peace might be accomplished. But then the crown prince continued with even more important language when he said, We don't look at Israel as an enemy. We look at them as a potential ally with many great interests that we could pursue together. But we have to solve some issues before we get to that. I think that's a pretty solid answer for today. I'm certainly satisfied, and that's why I continue to call Saudi Arabia a country that has not yet signed the Abraham Accords. Maybe one day soon, they will. What did I learn from the transcript and the article about MBS's personal habits? Well, he eats breakfast every day with his kids. For fun, he watches TV, avoiding shows like House of Cards that remind him of work. He prefers to watch series that help him escape the reality of his job, such as Game of Thrones. He also mentioned a new series which he described as amazing. It's called Foundation. I had not heard of the series. I took a look at the preview. Looks interesting. I'll add it to my watch list. It's a sci-fi series on Apple TV+. I hope you watch the Netflix series Fauda, as I had recommended you should. Toward the end of the profile, in as imperious and pompous a way as possible, Graham declares that since reality has handed us MBS, the question for America is how to influence him. Well, I hate to break it to you, Graham. Reality did not hand us Americans anything. MBS is the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. We don't get to tell the Saudis who their crown prince or ruler should be, or how they should live, or how they should observe or not observe Islam, or where they should build Neom, or their other massive new projects, or how much oil to pump. The more we try to do that, and the less reliable an ally we become, the more we might encourage them to seek a much stronger alliance with China. So let's be thoughtful about what we say 
and do and preach. I do have a lot more to say about the profile, but I will leave you with these last few thoughts. Graham writes that if someone had told him in 2022 that the future king of Saudi Arabia would be pursuing a relationship with Israel, treating women as full members of society, punishing corruption, even in his own family, stanching the flow of jihadists, diversifying and liberalizing his economy and society, and encouraging the world to see his country and his country to see the world, they would have told that person that their time machine was malfunctioning and that they had visited the kingdom in 2052 at the earliest. Now that MBS is in power, all these things are happening. But, he says, the effect is not as pleasing as I had hoped. Well, Graham, kudos to you for creating a pretty impressive list of accomplishments of MBS in the kingdom. But as to the ending of that paragraph, maybe you missed something. The likelihood is that maybe only a few Saudis care that these historic and dramatic changes in the kingdom are not as pleasing to you as they had hoped. They aren't doing what they're doing to please Graham Wood. You aren't a Saudi. You can't tell them what to do or what pleases you, or how, to th- how you think they should dress, play, pray, or live. Next time you write a profile like this, I recommend you try to be more respectful. I'm not asking you to create a fake puff piece. I have no issue with you tackling tough subjects and issues. But you shouldn't let your personal animosity and negativity about the subjects you're writing about seep into the profile and contaminate it. The profile's just not... Mm, how should I say it? It's just not as pleasing to me as I had hoped. To my listeners, I do recommend you read the transcript of the interview, not just the article which is based on the interview. If you want to read the answers to the questions asked by Graham, some good and fair questions, some unfair, some ugly, you'll be able to read them as they were asked, and you'll be able to read the Crown Prince's answers without any editing by The Atlantic. I should point out that on March 6th, Graham wrote a follow-up piece, accusing the kingdom of releasing a transcript that was edited. I don't have a way to verify that accusation or to disprove it. He also defended himself against those who criticized him for interviewing MBS and for describing MBS as charming and intelligent. He described the social media attacks lobbed at him for writing a bad article about MBS. So Graham was attacked from all directions. To me, the most important part of the follow-up article is found in the last paragraph, where Graham writes that all journalism is an attempt to bring readers things they do not know. I think for the most part, Graham's profile about MBS and the kingdom missed that goal by miles. While there were things in the article that many readers likely didn't know, there was so much of Graham's negative view of the kingdom, MBS, and seemingly the observance of religion, or at least Islam, embedded within the article, that perhaps the only thing the reader now knows is just that, that Graham seems to have some very strong negative views of those things, and that he decided to write an opinion piece masquerading as a profile. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat brought to you by Newsweek.